I'm going to speak briefly from two passages of Scripture today. One is a psalm that we all know and love, but one which I think will have new meaning and application for us. The other is a somewhat obscure passage from the book of Acts. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. We could just stop right there. I shall not want. The New Living Translation says, I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the New Living Translation, I believe it is, or maybe it's the NIV, says, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. All that, verse 5, happening in the valley. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One more verse, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Uh, in another translation, it says becoming stronger. So the church is, is experiencing peace. It's becoming stronger. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I want to talk today about God's nearness in the valley. Lord, again, we thank you for you, that you're here with us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're going to speak so clearly. Jesus, we just want to say we exalt you above everything else as our chief shepherd. You're, you're bigger, you're greater than any problem, challenge, valley, difficulty, pain, sorrow, sadness that we go through. You are all that we need, all that we need. We believe that. We stand upon that promise. And God, I ask that you would Lord, open our eyes to see what, what it looks like to be led by you through the valley. Lord, your rod and your staff, that's comforting us. Father, let us see more clearly your holiness that we might fear you. Relate to you rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, any of us who've walked with Jesus for very long We've probably experienced that it is often in our darkest and most painful seasons that we feel the presence of God more closely. If you've ever had a major sickness you've battled or a family member who's passed away or financial difficulty, uh, some relational dysfunction that you couldn't resolve, you've, you, you've maybe drawn near to that, to God in that, and you've probably experienced God's nearness on another level beyond what you would might experience in other times. Scripture says that God is near to the brokenhearted. Anytime the heart is broken, 
God comes very near. We have an access. We have a presence of God. We, we, we have a nearness that we can connect with him through the brokenness that we feel and experience. And I would say many of the emotions that I've felt over the last week and a half, I haven't actually felt until uh, or since my father passed away. That was back in the year 2000. I had been following Jesus for about five years at that time. And I'd, I'd walked through many relational challenges with my father. Many of those relational challenges, most of them, I would say almost all of them were still unresolved when he uh, died. At 48 years old, he had a heart attack, went to the hospital. They did a procedure. I get a call. My phone rings at 4.30 a.m. and I see my grandmother's number on the caller ID. My heart sank. My grandmother never calls me at 4.30 in the morning. And I pick up, I, I actually miss a call. I call back and she says, we, we, we have to get to the hospital quick. Your, your dad's not doing well. By the time we got there, he had already died. It was very surreal moment. I'm 25 years old. I'm seeing his lifeless body. Even more surreal, a few hours later, I'm in, I'm walking around the funeral home, picking out a casket for my dad. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on? Um, I went home that day and I, I did what the only thing I could do. Pulled out the scriptures. I opened up the Psalms and I drew near to God. And he drew near to me. I remember just waves of his peace and his presence as I just began to read through the Psalms and I, I, I felt to get a piece of paper and a pen and I just, just this, all these words, I started writing this letter to my dad and I'm just giving him thanks. It's like all the dysfunction, all of the, uh, the hurt, it was like it just melted away in the presence of God. And I just wrote this letter thanking my dad for all the good things that he did for me. Just naming specific, thank you for teaching me patience, taking me fishing. Thank you for the time you invested in me, te teaching me to throw a baseball. Just, uh, you know, teaching me work ethic, making me clean up horse crap out of the barn every day through the, 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 the summer. 13 years old. God began to remind me of the good things. There was a healing that began to happen in that moment. Went to the funeral uh, a week later. Read this letter. Just to honor my dad. And I remember standing in worship and I'm just singing. It is well with my soul. And God's drawing near to me in that moment. My pastor preached the gospel and like three people received Jesus that day. That same week, I had this another experience that was probably the most valuable God-given dream that I've ever had. And I said, God, I don't actually know if my... Father, my dad is with you in heaven or not. Can you, can you make this clear? I think he might be. There's a, I think there was a faith, but there's a lot of things that hard to really discern. 
And so that night I uh, went to sleep and my dad came and visited me in my dream. And I still remember it. It wasn't like I could really see him. It was like we were kind of, there was something in between us. It was like a darkness, a veil, but it was like he was there. He was with me, but I, I, it, I couldn't really see him. And I remember this phrase. He said, son, heaven is the most wonderful place you could ever imagine. I was so thankful. I just remember the presence of God in that season of just in as waves of grief would come, his, his presence would come and meet me in that moment of grief. We probably all could, many of us could stand up here and tell a similar story of God drawing near to us in times of pain. But it's a helpful thing for us to remember, particularly when we're in the valley, when we're going through something painful, that it is in these moments, in these seasons, that we have the capacity to connect with God at a level that's deeper than most times because he's near to the broken and this is exactly what David is speaking of in Psalm 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so David is calling God a shepherd. He is, he's um, drawing on his experience as a shepherd to kind of give this, this understanding or, or, or to help him to understand what God is like. Speaking of how just as a shepherd leads sheep, God leads us through valleys of deep darkness. And he talks about this rod and this staff. The rod was a sort of like a club-like uh, weapon that shepherds used, both for protection and for discipline. It could be used ruthlessly to defend the herd, the sheep, against an attack or it could be used more gently, just to remind the sheep who the shepherd is. But the ultimate goal of the shepherd's rod was always the safety, the protection, uh, the, the guidance of the sheep. The staff was another tool in the shepherd's hand that was characterized by a hook at the end, we've all seen that, used to guide the sheep, to keep them together, uh, to sometimes, um, rescue them if necessarily necessary just you know just hook them around the neck bring them back in but david is saying that god you are like the shepherd that guides and protects his people and he's saying i am like a wandering sheep who is in need of guidance and protection i need a shepherd i need the rod i need the staff in my life they're good things. And David says, knowing that I have those two things in my life actually brings me deep comfort. And he's saying, when I need them the most is when I'm in my darkest moment, when I'm in the valley of deep darkness. It's when I'm grieving. It's when I'm hurting. It's when I'm in pain. It's when nothing seems to make sense. It's when we need them most because it's often when we're most vulnerable to the enemy. And so in the valley of deep darkness, David says, you're with me. 
David doesn't end the psalm with the image of the valley. The valley is just a journey on the way to someplace else that God is taking us. Because then he begins to talk about this table being prepared in the presence of our enemies. He's talking about a cup that overflows. He's talking about his goodness and his mercy following him. In other words, he's saying, I see that there are good things ahead. We got to get through the valley to get there, but there's something good on the other side. Why does God take us through the valley? Because there's something valuable that we gain in the season of deep darkness that helps us to value the promise that he's taking us into. The pain, the sorrow, the difficulty, the challenge, when we go through it, it changes us. It prepares us for the good things. It's in the valley that we, we tap into a deeper intimacy, a deeper trust, a greater reliance, our humility grows so that when we get to the good things that are ahead, we have this transformation in us that enables us to be in the good thing and number one, not worship the good thing and number two, not take credit for getting ourselves to the good thing. God wants to use the, the valley to bring us to this place of recognition that I could have never gotten here on my own no matter how hard I tried. That is why God leads us through the valley. And so now let's bring this principle into the New Testament with this passage in Acts chapter 9 and this, the, the context of the first century church. We see in Acts 9, before this passage I read, you've got Saul, uh, Paul, who was previously Saul, has this encounter with Jesus. He's radically saved. Before that, he was going around murdering Christians. This was a time of deep darkness for the church. It was a time uh, that was uh, another level of deep darkness than anything that we're experiencing right now. Christians were being taken out of their homes. They were being beaten. Uh, many of them were being murdered simply because of their profession of faith in Christ. And Paul, saw at the time, was clapping his hands. We need more of this. Let's get rid of these Christians. Valley of deep darkness. The church had also recently gone through uh, a very humbling experience where there were two people in the church that lied to the Holy Spirit, claimed that they were bringing a certain amount of money, all of the money from the sale of the proceeds of this land, but they were keeping some of it back for themselves, and they dropped, out, they dropped dead because of their deception, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so, in fact, the, the last time before this Acts 9.31 passage that you see the fear of the Lord referenced, it was in this story of Ananias and Sapphira when uh, the, it says that a great fear came upon the church. No kidding. You've just got two people in the church who lie. It's like this realization of the holiness of God the recognition that God sees everything that we do in secret. His light shines into every crevice of our heart, and it is impossible to hide from Him. Nothing can remain hidden. 
everything in the darkness will come into the light and the fear of the Lord falls upon him. And so at that time, there was such a heightened sense of the manifestation of God's presence and his holiness that you don't want to lie to the Holy Spirit. There's no excuse. He's made himself too real. His presence is too manifest to do that. And so Luke here shows us what Jesus, the great shepherd, is leading the church through and what in the valley he's leading them through, what his rod and staff is producing in them and then the promise that he's taking them into. The promise he's taking them into is multiplication. But what they had to go through in the valley was producing something in them that would naturally lead to the multiplication. And the first thing is the fear of the Lord. We see it right here. Walking in the fear of the Lord. And the second thing is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In my life in this season, over the last week and a half, those are the two things that have been most prominent to me. The fear of the Lord. His nearness has brought the fear of the Lord. But it's also brought a deep comfort. I've seen the consequence of secret, unaddressed heart sins. And in that, Jesus is increasing my fear of the Lord and the recognition of his searchlight, of his spirit, into the secret places of my own heart. And in my grief, in my sorrow, I've felt God's comfort, his closeness. His rod and his staff are disciplining me, but also guiding me, comforting me. So after that very long introduction, I want to give you a few quick thoughts on God's nearness in the valley. You thought the sermon was finished. A few quick thoughts. We grow in the fear of the Lord as we humble ourselves before him. Nothing, you know, not, nothing too amazing about that revelation, but maybe it can sink in a little bit deeper for us. First Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. We are at our most vulnerable to the enemy when we begin to make prideful declarations about ourselves that we don't even recognize are prideful. That indicate how we might be operating in our own strength. We might even be calling it the strength of the Lord, but we've, uh, we've really lost our humility. I was sitting in Phil Ayers, sitting with Phil Ayers this week. Phil Ayers is the 
uh, the vice president of the ACC here in WA. And we caught up and he was sharing with me some wisdom that I thought was really helpful. And he was quoting someone else and I'll paraphrase it, but it, it was essentially something like this. He says, a man doesn't fall because he forgets he is a man of God. He falls because he forgets he's a man. Ladies, we can say the same for you, right? A woman doesn't fall because she forgets she's a woman of God. She falls because she forgets that she is a woman. In other words, it is a safeguard for us to remember our humanity. We have to remember that every single one of us are only one or two bad decisions away from destroying what we may have worked years to build. I have nearly 23 years of relational trust with my wife. All of that trust can be destroyed in a very short period of time. And that makes me very afraid. Makes me fear the Lord. That, heart, that, that thought keeps my heart dependent on the grace of God. If I forget that, I'm in a very vulnerable place. One of the greater results or more surprising results to me of the nearness of God in this season is my greater sensitivity to his voice in empowering me to resist temptation. There's been moments where in previous times, it's just different now. Like I feel different. I, I feel like there's a greater grace to resist. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's what Paul wrote to Titus. And as his nearness comes, this is what we begin to experience. We need to embrace that and we need to act on that. There's a sanctification that happens in our soul when we, we take the, the, the exit ramp that the Holy Spirit gives us in that moment of temptation. The fear of the Lord becomes very practical in our life when we remember our humanity. It helps us to put these barriers in our life, these boundaries that make it harder for the enemy to, to, to get in. One of the fortresses of protection in my life is that I very rarely travel without my wife, and if I do, it's only for a very short period of time. Her physical presence is a safeguard to me. Lives is never happy for me to leave the house without this ring on <laughs> because it's a reminder to me and a symbol and a sign to everyone else, keep your hands off. He is spoken for. And so whenever I come, I leave that, she looks, she's like, you don't have your ring on. Oh, you're right. Actually, I don't. Sorry about that. Do you know, close friendships, discipleship relationships with people that will ask us very difficult questions, that's a safeguard for us. That's something that we invite into our life when we fear the Lord. 
picking up the phone when we've sinned against God and confessing our sin to a brother is a safeguard for us. Because when we bring, uh, or sister ladies, when we bring what is in the darkness into the light, we disempower the enemy. We rebuild that fortress of protection that may have been broken down for, from our uh, lack of ability to resist a temptation. It cuts the enemy off. And so the fear of the Lord, it keeps us open. It keeps us transparent. And so if we ever find ourselves hiding, harboring sin in our hearts that is unconfessed, that other people that are close to us don't know about, it's a good indication to us that we've departed from the fear of the Lord. We, we've forgotten our humanity and how desperately we need his empowering presence and how we are always just a couple of steps away from very bad things, very bad consequences. Second thought about God's nearness in the valley is that we have to actually open our hearts to the Holy Spirit as our comforter. David in the Psalms models this for us, that it's very healthy and it's very good to be honest with God about our pain and our sorrow. Look at Psalm 3, Psalm 5, many other Psalms. David pours out his heart to God. Much of his interaction with God begins with David speaking to God about the dark, difficult things that he's experiencing in his life. But in the, uh, the modern Pentecostal church, the tendency, tendency seems to be to bury our negative emotions because those negative emotions aren't faith. It's not positive. But that's really, really unhealthy. And I, I realized this recently when, uh, that I have this weakness in my life. My wife introduced this thing into our marriage called the connection wheel. And I would have put a photo up, but I, I didn't have time. But it's this wheel and it has all of these, maybe get it out if you've got it on your phone. It, it has all of these really negative emotions on there. And it has one positive emotion, which is joy. And so what you're supposed to do is go around the wheel and you say, you, you have to, uh, you, you, can, you only have two minutes to go through and say one thing or one time in the last 24 hours or since you did the wheel last that you felt this emotion. So you've got anger and shame and guilt and fear, loneliness, sadness, hurt. Seven negative emotions. And then you've got joy. And it's so funny, our personalities, because... You know, it's like, all right, I'm going to get all these out of the way and I'm going to end on joy because I got to end on a high note, you know. And I realized I was like, I really struggled to do this. And it dawned on me that I'm not too good at expressing, because I, I told us, I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to go there. That is not helping me. That's, that's bringing me down. I don't need that in my life. And I would have like, 
one thing free. I'd try my hardest for one thing. And then I have like three or four things joy that brought me joy in the last. Because I got to undo all this unbelief, right, from the, the rest of the wheel. But then I started to realize, actually, no, this is really helpful for me. This is helping me to just be much more honest about what are the things that are going on in my soul. We have to take the time to grieve our losses because there is a joy that comes in the morning, but only when we've acknowledged the sadness of the night before. And I felt this so strong on Saturday morning. I, Friday night, Friday was a hard day, man. Friday was a hard day. But I went into my office, I sat on the couch, put on some worship music, and I just cried. I cried like I haven't cried since the year 2000 when my dad died. I wept, I wailed. I tried to be quiet about it because I didn't want to embarrass myself to my family, but I'm still working on my ability to show emotion. But I, I cried because I was feeling sad and robbed and angry. But man, the presence of God came in that moment. He was so near. Part of the tears was not, and the weeping was not just the sadness of what I've experienced, but it was actually the presence of God, like God is so close to me. I was overwhelmed by his love. In fact, I'm sitting with, with Phil this last week, and I'm, I'm talking to him about all these things, and he's like, he's like, mate, listen, I think right now you just need to rest in the Father's love. I just, my head hit the table, and I just started weeping right in the middle, in the middle of the cafe. We have to take the time to grieve. Don't be afraid to grieve in this moment. This is sad. It's a sad time. Sad for us as a church. Sad for the body of Christ. But God will come. The Holy Spirit comes, comforts us. He draws near to us in our grief. One final thought. Then I think we'll worship him some more. It's in the valley that we lift up our eyes to remember his promise. I love that David does that. Right in the middle of the valley, he lifts up his eyes and he starts to look out into the future. The valley of darkness is not our destination. It is a passageway to divine promise. Some of us will grieve, but we will not camp out in the valley of grief. Jesus is walking with us through and out of the valley. The great shepherd is leading us somewhere. Now, Luke tells us what the result of a strong church is in that passage that we looked at before, Acts 9.31. The fear of the Lord the comfort of the Holy Spirit is producing a strong church that multiplies. The more the church feared the Lord, the more the church walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the more it increased. 
the more it multiplied. Multiplication will be our reward of walking through this valley. Mark my words. There is increase coming to us on the other side of this valley. I was walking out of the toilet into this room just as these guys were coming up to pray. I'm walking right there. The Holy Spirit just slams me. And I heard his voice. He says, the mantle increases today. There is a mantle of authority, prophetic promise, prophetic anointing that increases upon this house today. There is something that God is adding to us right now in this time, through this time, in this valley, so that when we get to where God's taking us, we're going to be like, I could have never gotten here no matter how hard I tried. <laughs> there is no way we can take credit for this because you supernaturally did this in spite of that dark, crazy valley that we just went through. So multiplication is our reward. And this will be our reward because this is what Jesus desires because the multiplication of God's people is Jesus' reward for his suffering. This is why Jesus went to the cross. Not for our little holy huddle in here as we enjoy the presence of God, as wonderful as that is, but it is that we would multiply. It is that every single one of us would carry the responsibility to make disciples. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me through the valley. I'm making you into a fisher of people. So what he says, there is no other outcome. There is no other destination on the other side of the valley than to be a more fruitful fisher of people, to be a more fruitful disciple maker. One of my favorite books of all times, we'll finish with this story. One of my favorite books is this book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. I love this book because I love all the stories in this book. But uh, he tells the story in this book of this guy uh, named Admir uh, Admiral James Stockdale. Good to Great is a business book. But he tells the story of this guy, Admiral James Stockdale. He was, the, uh, he was uh, a pilot that was shot down in the Vietnam War back in... What was that, the 1970s? So he ejected from his plane uh, behind enemy lines, and he was taken prisoner. So he ends up in this prisoner of war POW camp. Uh, it was called the Hanoi Hilton. It was notorious for being the darkest, uh, most horrific prisoner of war camp to be in there. There were like people in there that were, that, that were in there for like seven or eight years or something like that. But he gets in and he realizes that he is the highest ranking military officer in the entire POW camp. And so he, he is the one that everybody's looking to as the leader. He's, he is shouldering the burden of command for, for all of these other men that are in this, this POW camp. And so not only does he have to lead them, but he has to try to help them work out how do you persevere through the suffering and the torture that they're putting us through to try to get information. How, how do we communicate to one another in our isolation and solitary confinement? 
And he's coming up with all these ways to, to lead them while he himself is being broken, while he himself is uh, being tortured, while he himself is being starved and, and being treated horrifically. And so Jim Collins uh, is reading the book that Stockdale wrote uh, in preparation for an interview that he was going to have with James Stockdale in writing the book, writing his own book. So he's, he, he had read Stockdale's book, and he goes and sits down and has this coffee with, with James Stockdale. And he says to him, he says, I'm finding myself reading the book, and I'm hearing the stories of what you're going through, and I'm thinking there is no possible way that he is going to make it out alive. There, no, no human being could go through this. And he, and he says to him, he asks him this question, he says, how did you do it? How did you go through all of that and get out and, and live to, to tell the story and write this book? And he says this, it's this deeply profound quote that I think so beautifully illustrates what God does for us in the dark seasons, in the valleys of darkness of our life. He says this, he says, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. In other words, he's in the middle of, of the, the, the darkest season of his life. Everything within him wants to just pack it up, go home, be done. And in the middle of it, he's not only determined, I'm going to get through this, but I am going to embrace this so deeply that I am going to get on the other side of this. And what this produces in me is going to be so great on the other side that if the only way I can have what I've gotten on the other side is to go back through that again, I would go through it all over again because I would not trade this for anything. And what a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does for us, what our great shepherd does for us in the dark seasons of our life. He promises, I cause everything to work together for your good because I love you, because you're called according to my purpose. In other words, what I do in your life in this season is going to be so great that on the other side, you're going to be like, all right, I'd go through it all over again if that's what we had to go through to get this. We keep our eye on the promise. We lift up our eye. In the dark seasons, we remember this is where he is taking us.